Every day at America's Card Room, players just like you are scoring big in record time with Jackpot Poker. Jackpot Poker is a super fast three-player online poker set and go. You pick the buy-in, and after all three players are seated, we randomly pick the jackpot. Yep, just three players. No more, no less. And for most jackpot poker tournaments, it's winner take all. Imagine turning a $40 buy-in into the ultimate $100,000 game of poker. Anything could happen with jackpot poker. Play it now at America's Card Room. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex episode 130 on the com podcast, sponsored by americascardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from americascardroom.com, Simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the oneouter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at oneouter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash oneouter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on oneouter.com website and via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, the best thing to do is email questions at oneouter.com or tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Alex? Live from Queens, I believe. Episode one thirty. How's your week been? What you up to? What's happening? Hey Barry, happy to be here. As per usual, uh, things have been pretty good. I've been out here in Queens, uh, visiting my girl, hanging out, trying trying to change environments. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like I like being out on the East Coast. I was out here to get a lot of projects done uh the girl i'm seeing right now she works quite a bit too so i've had a lot of time at her place to work on my project she lets me work here during the days and i just haven't been getting as much done i don't know where the time goes there's so many things that pile up I i got sick the first day i was here I, her and I went to Central Park on Saturday, and she said, she kickboxes, and she says, she's going to kick my ass, right? (laughs) And she's going to make me work out, and I said, okay, I've heard that before, sweetie. And I can, at the drop of a hat, I could run 8, 10 miles. I'm not in terrific shape, but for a poker player, I'm in pretty good shape. I eat pretty well. I, especially now, I'm eating mostly a vegan diet, very, not because I have anything, not that I have anything wrong with killing animals, I'd like to kill a few every day if I could, but I, I just like how my body feels when I'm eating a mostly vegetable-based diet these days. I guess that's also Carlos Welch's influence. Mm -hmm. He pointed out that you'll feel a lot better if you eat mostly a plant-based diet, and I have been feeling really good and I'm feeling really good. I'm dropping weight. I can run for a really long time. My endurance is incredible. And this girl in, oh, 17 minutes and 30 seconds just had me crying. Like, I can't, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. It was hot. And then I legitimately felt like I'm going to vomit. I, I'm going to vomit right here in Central Park. And about 2,000 people are going to see me. Uh, this tiny little Asian girl is going to get me vomiting in the middle of this field. And after that, I was pretty out of it for a few days. I guess heat exhaustion plus I ate something wrong on the plane. Mm-hmm. The United States is amazing, by the way. You can just get these tickets across the country for $150. And the great thing about having good friends around the world is you can just crash at their place. And, yeah, so I've been trying to bum around a little bit ever since the divorce just to have a little more fun, enjoy. They say once you get divorced, you should focus on all the things you couldn't do married. So one of those things was obviously bumming around the world Mm -hmm. and having fun playing poker. And I've been having a lot of fun over the last few days, but I got to my email account and there was... Tim Ferriss always complains about email. I love that about Tim Ferriss. He's worth probably $15 million. But if you get him on the subject of his email, he'll just sound like he's going to rip your hair out. Yeah. It, like He's so angry about it. But I identified with him a bit because I had about 200-something emails. And normally, I have no problem answering a number of emails. I like to establish contacts with people. But 
this particular batch was just taking me a really long time. And I kept, I guess, feeling sick again. But I have a couple more days here. I think what's going to happen is I have two big projects I'm working on. I have a number of projects I'm working on right now. Uh, the talent coaching packages, also the master the flop package. The master the flop package, for all the pre-sales, everybody who bought it on pre-sale got it for 150 the final product's going to be $400. Mm-hmm. I'm adding so many things to it. It's taking its sweet time, which I really don't like, because that was my fault. Any project, every project you do is going to have delays. And I did not anticipate them in my scheduling. And there was a number of projects together. So if you add delays for every project on top of each other in a calendar, you just get pushed back 13 days, mm-hmm. something like that. And uh, that's frustrated me a bit. So to reward the people that did do the pre-orders, I, I found this new website, gumroad.com. And it's essentially a site where you can sell products and services and they handle all the payment processing and everything, which is really nice because I've needed a site like that for a good time. I'm going to make Master the Flop a very big package that people can buy for $400 on there and everybody who did the pre-order is going to get... We're going to do a live webinar. Mostly they get to participate in... There's going to be a number of materials. What I wanted to do with Master the Flop was much more difficult than I anticipated because, believe it or not, there's quite a few flops mm-hmm. out there. And uh, I'm going to send out a video, though, to both of those groups of su- subscribers over the next couple of days. Mostly, Barry, I, I've been floating this idea in my head I've, been, I've had a few ideas in my head. I'd like to hear your opinions on them because I do respect your views when it comes to life. I had a thought the other day, which is you fight for your life every day. Every single day you fight for your life. Mm-hmm. Because if you go on Facebook right now, you and I are both, you're early 30s, I'm about to be 30. Tell me if you resonate with this. Mm-hmm. Most of the people you know are dead. They don't, they don't know it yet, but they're the walking dead. They totally could be in that show. Yeah, they, I mean, before I called, like, 400 people, definitely. Uh, <laughs> just now there's maybe a few straggling zombies, but the most of the people I've got are either close friends, and, and without sounding and just, like, being blinded because they are friends, a lot of them are sort of, like, involved in their passion. They're lucky, they're lucky enough to be sort of, like, doing that, but... I, I definitely get when you're saying when I had everyone on from high school, like, just random, and I would accept people and whatever I was... I could see people, like, their frustration and their the way they were living their life. And like you say, it's like some people, you know, died a long time ago. They just they don't realise it sort of thing. They're just walking around existing. And I was always scared of that myself, even, like, looking at myself, doing, you know, taking stock, thinking, God, can you, can you become that and delude yourself, you know? It's, it's weird. I agree, and it's good that you're surrounding yourself with people you feel are motivating you, that are in their passion, which is, it, it, it really is, it, it is helpful. There, it, the thing that's amazing to me is, I, with my Facebook, I only add people on Facebook if I've known you in real life, if we've had a conversation in real life, and I remember you or you're one of my students that I've talked to on the phone and I know you. So I have this mishmash of people who are really motivated. And then there's a lot of people from my high school, like you said, who they're dead. They're, they're, they're dead. They, they've blown up in weight. They work jobs. I hate, they have children. I'm pretty sure they hate too. Uh, and, uh, they have wives and husbands they hate. This is why I wasn't too frustrated about my divorce because my ex-wife and I are still on really good terms. Her and I can still have a conversation on the phone and we're fine. 
I'm wishing her well. I still listen to her music. I'm really into her band's music. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's really, she always says good luck to you in whatever poker tournament you're in. We had our passions. We pushed each other. It just didn't work out. And I, I realized, though, there was a time I became complacent, and I was really complicit i guess is the word it, complicit means you're you're contributing right mm-hmm. is that right yeah you're 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 closer to where they speak real english Barry. <laughs> <laughs> so mate, you need to help me yeah. uh i was really complicit in the divorce whereas before i did a whole lot of why did she do that blah 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 and i was complicit because i just gave up at a certain point, Facebook was doing this, uh, Facebook does this go back in time thing, and mm. it, it goes back, today would have been my fourth wedding anniversary, mm. and it goes back to a year ago, and it just says like, hey, Alex is watching sports, <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, ha, huh, and I ballooned to 250 pounds, in a way, I was just dead, I was dead inside, maybe it, my body was physically dying. Mm-hmm. I, I, I saw a picture of myself a year or two ago. I was thinking, Jesus, I would have divorced me too. And it, it, I, I wasn't doing that well. And I was thinking, when I put it in the context of every day you have to fight for your life, and do not act like you're not doing that, because there, I'd say a good 80 to 90% of people give up. Mm-hmm. They they do give up. They may kid themselves. I'm going to work on this. I'm going to do that. They don't do it. They they don't. And the ironic thing is the people who are fighting. They think they're doing nothing because they have so many ambitions, and they're actually only serving three or four of them. Whereas many people who have one ambition and could be really happy if they were broke and going after that ambition they won't take that leap it's it's too comfortable to get the snickers bar and the people magazine on the way home mm-hmm. and uh yeah it's uh it, it's a tough not that there's anything wrong with snickers bars or magazines i like to read magazines i like chocolate i like hanging out but it, there's a time and a place for that and when I started thinking in the context of you have to fight for your life every day, I started fighting much more. I started eating better. I started trying to pursue experiences. And the other thing that I've been thinking of is you really do need to create something. Whether that, I think in your context, what you could create is you, you do create a service for people where you get them products they could not find and you get paid a fee for that, but you make people happy. Because in that, to me, is creating something. Uh, for me, it's... I have all these projects I want to do. It's about getting them out to people. And it's about creating something every day. And to me, when I think about it on those terms, certain things do not become as important as they used to be. I used to think it was much more important than it was to be doing the things my friends were doing, to be going out, to having a good time, to drink, to play video games and stuff like that. But if you create something, it lives forever. Mm-hmm. You think the Internet's not going anywhere. Your body of work will likely stand the test of time. There will be chess masters in poker one day. They're going to sift through the ruins of the beginning of this time. Poker is nothing. I, I, don't, I, don't, I do not believe poker is tough right now. I do not believe that. I believe everybody who says that is being lazy. Everyone, poker has gotten tougher. I'm not, I'm not disputing that. Mm-hmm. But it, it is a matter of working harder. And it's a number of hours. I, I, I don't disagree with that. But to me, it's, my focus is creating something every day. And there's little projects. There's big projects. The focus right now is getting those schedules done figuring out where I'm going to be at what time, making sure I travel, make sure I show my face at live tournaments, making sure I play online tournaments, making sure I create videos, 
making sure I make people happy. Because when I make people happy, I make money. And <laughs> this is why America is the greatest country in the world. Sorry, Barry. But, <laughs> I, I, okay, this is why I believe it is, is because we're based on capitalism. And I really believe it, it, it's amazing you can create something, have fun doing it, sell it, make somebody else happy, and you both get rich yeah. off of it. I, I cannot believe that. And America, since it has no history... Is just based on this idea of every man. It, 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 original libertarianism comes, in my opinion, from the founding fathers of the United States. And to me, that's what makes me love my country so much. I, I was in Canada and I was thinking, this is a pretty nice country too. I can see why you guys could say this is the greatest country ever as well. I, I believe everybody can they have something that makes them feel their country is the greatest on earth and makes it feel exceptional. That's what I really love about America is I get to create things every day. And as long as I pay my taxes, nobody bothers me. And I love that. That's so I'm focusing on creating something every day, trying to help out my students, trying to help myself. And yeah, it's, it, it's, it's an adventure because it's hard. There is, there's only so many hours in the day. There's, and, but if you think about you're fighting for your life, you're fighting to leave a, leave a legacy, you're fighting to help others, you, you find the energy. Whereas I, I, I didn't find it before. And that's, that's where I'm at right now. What would you think of that, Barry? Yeah, I think, it's, I think the important thing is you've got, you know, you're in that position and you've earned that position to to make money off your passion and hobby and I, I agree with you saying like a lot of people are dead but there is that slither out there that are you know you would look at them and think god they're in a job they hate they're in this situation they hate but they are trying something to try and get out of that you know and it was just like guys like that or, or girls like that you just hope that they can they can find something because me and my partner were talking about it we were, we were sitting and talking we were like see when it comes to like we actually, I mean, we put in the hours of work, but not conventional hours, and we can have a day off when we want. Like, we just moved house, and it took us a week to clear out and bend lots of rubbish from the old place, uh, stuff we weren't moving with, and get it all done. But we could take that time out, you know, during the day, and sort of like, so it didn't completely kill us. And just doing that, it was like a privilege. Like, I was like, my God, could you imagine if we had like work tomorrow and we had to do this after work you know doing it like you're just it's about carving that sort of like lifestyle out for you and we don't get me wrong we give up the so-called job or perceived job security that some people have that we know you know but it's freedom I, I, I worked it out a few, about a couple of years ago I was like I actually don't work for money I work for freedom really now it's more important to me to get up at whatever time I want and do the work when I feel like working because the way I'm built in my mind, I really can't stomach anything more than someone telling me that, you know, I've got to be in a certain time and this work's got to be done today. When some days I really just don't feel like it because I'm not going to do whatever the work is. I'm not going to perform my best that day. I'm better just writing half the day off or taking that day off. And then the next day, you know, when I feel up for it and wanting to do it, then I'm I'd probably get more done doing that. You know what I mean? Like if I went, right, I'm, I'm screwed today. I don't feel like that. I'm not going to do anything. And then the next day when I really feel up for it, I'll accomplish more in that 7, 8 hours or 12 hours or whatever I put in than I would have done in like a 40-hour week in something else. So I think it's finding your passion and something you're going to work at at the same time. And I do, I just hope people that do listen that have jobs and maybe don't hate them, but they're just not passionate about them and it's like a means to an end that they can try and figure something out to even go part-time in the, the job that they hate, and then whether it's poker or something else, that they can start, you know, freelancing or making that, just getting a taste for that life, because seriously, it is like the Matrix, like the Matrix, once you take that pill and see another way and do another way and live it, there is no way back. I couldn't work for anyone else now. I'm totally unemployable, and I've got a first-class honours degree in economics, and I, I, am, I am unemployable. I just couldn't do it. For someone else, you know, and it's, yes. uh, it's just that situation. I I think I also 
want to say, I hope it doesn't sound as if Barry and I are judging you if you have a normal job. There are, there is a place for traditional jobs. There, there's a lot of people I meet here in New York who are really nice people. They love their jobs and they help people quite a bit and they get wonderful perks I'll never have, such as a month of vacation time paid, which companies have the right to give you if you work hard enough. Mm. And then there's people, I've known janitors that are happier than I'll ever be because they enjoy cleaning. They, they enjoy keeping a school clean for kids so they yeah. can feel they're in a safe environment. And that to me is, that is a passion and that is valuable for people. And the, the thing that is interesting to me that you say is, yes, it's as if you are seen into the matrix, the people forget freedom is not the normal course of empire. It's not the normal course of action. We, it struck me the other day walking, I, I, I'm running a lot through Queens. I'm enjoying, I'm running everywhere I can on this map because I spent seven years in San Jose and it was wonderful being out there. I learned quite a bit of Spanish. I met really good friends. But this entire earth is a map, just like a video game. You can go, it, it, it will never cease to amaze me how people can play a video game and they'll go into every shop, they'll try every side quest, they'll do anything that strikes their fancy, they'll give themselves unlimited, unlimited chances to fail, They'll never, ever judge themselves. They'll just try to have a good time and create something in the game. And then in their normal life, can't go to the gym. I'll look silly. I don't know how to lift weights. I, I can't build a website about this thing I'm really passionate about. I might do it wrong. If you're doing something, if it scares you a little bit, I find that tends to be what you need to focus on. And I go through this every day. Yesterday... I decided I the biggest poker tournament ever in Canadian history is coming up, and I decided, F it, i got to go out there. It has to happen. I have, the, the girl I'm seeing is out on the East Coast. I, I, I really enjoy being in Bullhead City, but this is a really, I know that sounds odd to many people, but I really do enjoy having my very spacious office with my dogs and Excuse me, guys. Sorry about that. I love having my spacious office, my uh, my uh, very flat earth to run on, and I can take care of my mother there, and it's very cheap. It's it's very nice, but there's an incentive to come out to the East Coast, too. I have friends out here, and uh, I decided it, it scares me a little because, uh, you know, the money's not perfect right now. You're still rebuilding just got to do it. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, I put out a package and it sold, thankfully. And uh, I'm going up there and the money's never perfect. It's never right there. You never get enough sleep. It's never right. It's never the... But if it scares you a little bit, that's good because at the end of the day, you feel as if I fought for my life today. And creating something, again, creating something, whatever that is, I really wish we recognized what people create more. I wish the janitor could take a picture of his clean school every day and we just cheered that on. Mm. I wish he could have the pictures to look back on after 27 years. I wish we gave that guy parades. I wish we did that. Instead, we taught, we're so negative. Every time I turn on the news or the, my computer, it's just negativity constantly. Are we really that fascinated Trump said something stupid again? Why is that so surprising to people? Why, why do we need to talk about it constantly? And whereas if somebody writes a blog post that's 400 words that makes two people happy, that is infinitely more valuable than a stupid YouTube clip of Donald Trump saying something silly that gets shared three million times. That adds nothing to anybody's life. Mm -hmm. Nothing. And I, sorry, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, go, go no, ahead. I, I was just saying. I think the negativity thing people can can thrive on. It's 
it comes to like I was reading stuff every so maybe it was a YouTube video. It was like how like the wiring in the brain works is like if you're constantly thinking negative stuff and you're getting negative thing, then why are you surprised you're always negative and thinking bad stuff all the time? You know, it's like what you fill your mind with, sort of thing. And that's yep. when social media and don't get me wrong, if your if your social media is filtered to it's just like things like the daily Zen things and um, little Buddha or tiny Buddha or whatever the site's called, I always see stuff shared by that. And it's like positive things about mindset and this and business and motivation. And if that's all you're reading and good, then your mind's going to be, you know, filled with positivity. But if, yeah, if you're on Facebook and you've got people that you don't even know why you've got them on Facebook and they're like, oh, I hate my fucking job, this and that. It's so strange because even though you don't care, it's still negativity in your mind. And even like you say, wasting the energy of reading it and mentioning it, it's amazing how that can build up. And that is why I totally called Facebook before, you know, and like I'm hardly on it. And when I'm on it, I'm very selective of what I'm doing or, you know, the reason of what I'm doing or who I'm adding and stuff really because it's funny. And then if if you refuse people that you don't want on anymore, you feel like, oh, are they going to think that? So even that act is like, you know, one, a waste of time, and two, it just creates, like, negativity, I think, sometimes. You know, it's, I, I remember this guy, and it's like, no, but someone said something to me last week. They were on holiday in Cuba for two weeks, and they said they couldn't get internet at all. The phone was in their hotel drawer for two weeks. And uh, he was in a restaurant. There was, like, 200 people or something, and not one of them had their phone you know, like, looking at their phone, and he said, it was like going back to the 80s, you know, this older guy, he's like, everybody had time to be bored, and time to do this, and time to do nothing, and whatever, and these days, even people, like, you know, standard jobs, like, they're not high-powered, you know, attorneys or surgeons that need to be on call, he's talking about, like, his friends, who he knows, like, some are bricklayers, now. he's like, none of them have got a fucking minute. Or, yep. or or they feel like they don't. You know, they're like, oh, you want to go to the golf? Like, Who's got time for golf? Like three and a half hours, four hours to do that. And the guy's like, you know, he just works his 40-hour week. And you're like, well, what are you doing with the rest of the time? And I, I really think the spike in anxiety uh, en masse and also the spike in people feeling like they don't have time to do shit and feeling like they should be doing stuff constantly is directly correlated with uh, smartphones and using smartphones and constantly being plugged in. It's true. I mean, I've noticed it with myself, you know, in the last few years since I got an I think I've had an iPhone since 2010, maybe, or something, the last seven years. I would say I've been really productive in some sense with, with things and using the iPhone and that as well for that. But a lot of it has definitely created a little bit more stress and anxiety for one, you know, for a label to give it a label with, with some stuff, and it's, you know, I'm not exempt from that. It's it's weird, and it it's actually frightening, really, you know, when you you get yourself in a state like that and you start looking at aspects of your life like almost mindless, you know, just what you're looking at on Twitter and this and that, and it's 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 weird. It's it's this, uh, I can't remember, it was maybe Tim Ferriss, I think it is, that it says it's like, it's like the rats hitting the little button to get the cocaine pellet sort of thing. It's like, you know, yes. they want to see this email, refresh, refresh, refresh Facebook or whatever. It's, it's fucked up, actually, you know? It, it, it is, and I find it, it was really interesting. I was listening to some metal albums yesterday, and two bands within the ruins and like moth to flames and i i like reading the lyrics to albums and i noticed that it was the same subject matter which is every metal band these days the lyric subject matter is i am overwhelmed i don't feel good enough it's never going to be enough i can't do it and i was thinking this is a very different topic than when i was a kid in high school and I played my punk records, it was in my metal albums, it was very political or it was very based on emotion because people had more time with themselves. There was no MySpace, there was no anything like that. And I think it's a double-edged sword. I When I run through Queens and I have my hip-hop playlist on Spotify, it's the greatest thing on earth. I love technology for that yeah. because... Yeah, it's uh, it's 10,000 songs I grew well, up with. we're recording this on Skype. Let's make that clear. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it, well, 
we live in the... It hits me all the time. We live in the future. You can fly anywhere for next to nothing. You can rent people's houses on Airbnb for next to nothing. You can get a ride for next to nothing. You can get meals for next to nothing. There's never been a better time to be broke. I... I remember when I was poor, it was a lot harder to get any... I had to take a city bus where I was pretty sure the crack addict was going to stab me if we took a hard left. And uh, there was no call an Uber. If I, if I had to call a taxi, that meant I lost a day's wages if I missed the last bus. Mm-hmm. And you live in the future, but there, we don't grow up being taught how to discipline ourselves or even being taught that that could be a discipline... There, this is a, there's a book that Trisha Gardner recommended to me called The Compound Effect. And this guy, he has a, if you listen to it on Audible, he has a very interesting voice, to put it delicately. Uh, he, the first 15 minutes you hear this guy, you think, this is just a huckster. This is a guy selling snake oil. And then he makes his point, which is everything compounds on top of each other. And it's the same point that Tim Ferriss makes, which is it's easier than ever to get food that's really bad for you. But if you, it tastes delicious to get that donut hole or whatever. But if you add just a little donut every other day, once in a while when you're going out, you're, you're going to put on 35 pounds after two and a half years. And most of that weight's not going to come on till the last six months. Mm-hmm. And Pete, and uh, people say, oh, I would never eat a donut every other day. B.S., I've seen you do it. Yeah. And uh, I, I, you wouldn't eat a donut, but you're getting a Starbucks every day, which is just a milkshake with a little coffee spritzed into it. And uh, it, it, it's what you put in your mind is so, it, it is so impactful. It's... It, I can't, I've been fasting a lot lately. Today I didn't do it, ironically, right as I'm talking about it. But uh, I did get the New York bagel today, full disclosure. But normally I don't eat till 2, and then I stop eating at 10, and I eat one meal a day many days. And it's just, lately it's just been spinach and mushrooms and some strips of chicken and uh, stuff like that. If I'm dying for starch, I'll have a little rice. And uh, after about two weeks of doing that, the first five days are hell on earth. Uh, you, you will feel as if you're dying. After your body gets through that, it is as if you are seen into the matrix because you just walk around and go, all these people are addicted to food. Mm-hmm. And you, you look at people in the United States and it, I'm just struck by how everybody is fat. It's not a stereotype. Literally everybody is overweight everywhere I go. It is very rare to see somebody who is legitimately in good shape. Myself as well. I have a little weight on me. I'm, I'm cutting it down, but it's tough. And then I don't watch TV. I got to a point, I told everybody, I don't do Netflix. I don't. And... uh this you, you wouldn't believe the resistance I met with that Barry, with so many people. Oh, we're all going to watch. We're all going to watch uh, this TV show. You don't want to watch? It? No, I don't. I'd rather read a book. I'd rather listen to an audiobook. I'd rather go for a walk. I'd rather go for a run. I'd rather do twenty things before I watch Netflix. Uh, even I like sports, but. I don't. I can't follow them really seriously. I might put them on when I'm doing nothing, mm-hmm. or when I'm just vegging out, or I'm working on something. I'm working on emails, and I don't have to be super focused. And I'm just curious. I might watch the last few innings of a game, or or, or the last five minutes. But these, it, it. If all you put into your mind is. It, it, when you're fasting from that, and every time you walk by, you, you, when you go to people's houses, you notice all they do is watch TV. That's just that's what most people do when they get home is TV, 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 TV. And what is happening every time you walk by that TV? 
conflict, 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 arguing, conflict. And then what do their personal relationships look like? Yeah. Well, what have they fed themselves? Conflict, conflict, conflict. You have the whole world at your fingertips, but we're, we're going we're gonna to roll it back. Okay, now that Barry and I have sounded like we're 207 years old, I guess we should get into... Uh, we should get into the lesson. Uh, the lesson. We should get into the questions, huh? Yeah, let's do the questions. Let's do some questions. Okay, uh, this one is from. Actually, I should probably read this one out. Uh, that will be quite funny, um, because of what you've just been mentioning. Yeah, let's go for this one first. Um, this one is from Eric Emerson. Uh, Dear Barry and Alex, thank you both so much for all that you do. Really enjoy the show. Not only just the poker information, but the priceless BS in between. I do have a quick question today. It's about reshove ranges. I find myself constantly deep in tournaments with 15 to 20 blinds in the mid to late stages, and then go card dead and blind down to under 10 big blinds. I do play mostly live, and I have purchased Y8 Styles is right which I feel like covered some of this. In today's live poker environment, what do you feel the best reshove strategy is? Now let me read these PS first, Alex, and you'll know why I read this one uh, first today. Uh, PS, if you're ever in South Carolina, I don't know why the hell you ever would be. Uh, got a, I've got a spare room you could use, all the coffee you could drink, super fast Wi-Fi, MLB pass, and a bottomless Netflix account. So we can watch all the films Barry recommends. <laughs> I I am down with films, but I it's weird. Don't you feel as if movies have more value than a TV show? Because yeah. you get you I, get well, about the I same thing. Few, I went through a few years ago of like box set, box set, box set, and then that was fine with. But now they're going like six, seven, eight seasons long, twelve to twenty. I'm like whoa, 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 like. I'm all for character development and richness of, you know, like, for me, the greatest show ever was The Sopranos, and I'll, like, in terms of enjoyment and everything in life and soundtrack, Sopranos for me is still the greatest ever, and that's, I think, seven series, or the last season had, like, six episodes, there's, you know, 12 seasons, uh, 12 episodes in each season and that, and that's, you know, a lot of hours, and I, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm so happy I've watched The Sopranos, and I love it, but... When I watched Breaking Bad, I really enjoyed that. But then I was jumping into other things, and then Friends are... It's like anything. There's like an oversupply of these TV shows now. It was kind of cool when it was like Sopranos, The Wire, you know, and they were all the best ones. All these ones coming out. Now, I've been recommended ones recently, like Banshee. I put it on and watched it all, because, you know, I watched the first season, I was like, I'll stick with this. And then at the end, I was like, yeah, it was okay, but... No better than watching a two and a half hour film or a two hour film of that story. It could have been condensed, you know, rather than five seasons of it. I just think there's oversupply of box sets now by the networks because they want to get people hooked and make all the money, you know, off off the syndication and stuff of, of the hit. But um, yeah, I'm a lot more just now the way I am in my life again. Going back to just sticking a film on two hours is done oh yeah i've got a conclusion and that's it you know this uh box set and that it became too much of a commitment you know really really when you when you think about the emotional impact and the questions that remember that movie we watched the invitation separately yeah yeah it's still vivid in your mind yeah now try to imagine Breaking Bad season four episode two. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. You have no idea, <laughs> and that's that's one of the best ones. That's one of the Breaking Bad's a very good show, and I, I understand when people want to watch, uh, uh, Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul. That that to me is art. The Wire, The Sopranos, what was as if. It was a movie that was just a little longer, a very well-done Martin Scorsese gangster film. And I understand that, but generally I find movies get to the point a lot quicker. And like you said, they don't string it out for 70, 80 hours. And South Carolina is actually on my list. Tell that guy to write me at alexapokeradrush.com. I'm going everywhere. 
Mm-hmm. I'm going. I'm. A, I'm going to be teaching everyone everywhere. That's that's the other thing I'm doing with the talent coaching subscribers is if uh, if we have internet connection problems or my schedule is not perfect that day, what I'm doing is trying to make that a lucky day for them where they just get a 30, 45 minute lesson for free mm-hmm. and whatever I can do, trying to stay with them as much as possible. I'm. I didn't want to do another thousand lessons with a thousand people and have no recollection of any one of them. Uh, I wanted to do, I wanted to have 25 students I worked with throughout the year and really got them to that next level. So that's why we've been doing that. As far as the reshoving ranges, oh, and you're a man after my heart with the coffee offer. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, about the reshoving ranges, what Ape Styles did, which I think we should all imitate, is he went on Cardrunner's EV, and he put different ranges that people were opening, and he observed what hands were on the outer edges of those ranges, so he knew what hands to identify. If you see what somebody is opening from that range, if you see Jack 8 suited, you can assume uh, a, a certain range, 17%. Or however you put it, or if you see, a, if you see down to seven six suited, you you have a specific idea. And if you see anything outside that, out you should take a good look at what a fifteen percent range is. Fifteen percent is where most of your profits come from. That's really hard to beat post flop. But if you see something outside that fifteen percent, way outside of it, say an A six offsuit, you know this person's up into twenty percent territory what have you. And I really think it's important. Rejams, you need to be focusing on what people open on the button. Uh, there's many people who open 100% of the time. It gets folded to them on the button. And you can find that out if they turn over a 9-2 of clubs or something along those lines. So we can very faithfully assume a 50% opening range and if we can memorize what we can shove there with what stack sizes, we have a bit of a go-to. Something I'm developing right now for the talent coaching subscribers, I'm taking quite a bit of I'm studying the different ranges I use in different spots and I'm photographing those ranges and I'm interpreting them and I'm discussing them, and I'm writing articles about them. I don't believe it's a great idea to have fixed ranges, but there are quick shortcuts, and we can memorize them, and you can turn them into flip cards and stuff like that. And creating something every day, going back to that, you can create... I've been doing this for myself every day, and it's slowly occurring to me I can do this for you guys there's quite a bit of stuff I probably shouldn't put out there to you guys because it'll just be so confusing not not that it's complex and I'm on some other level it's just my notes are so <laughs> frivolously taken uh, but you can uh, if you you have why Ape Styles is right why, uh, Ape Styles defined a lot of those ranges and we show you in the video how to uh, how to do that on Cardrunner's EV. Actually, we show a much more complex operation on Cardrunner's EV. All you have to do is see if there's a profit with a shove on Cardrunner's EV. That's one of the best things you can do in order to learn that program. So I'd recommend doing that, making some flip cards, making some hard and fast rules. And just anytime you have a moment... Just anytime you have five minutes flipping through them, a, a good ex- you need to break down all of these tasks into manageable chunks. If if your goal is to write the great American novel, well, if, if when you sit down at the computer you go, okay, go go gadget Stephen King, it, it's not gonna work. But if you break it down into write the title, write the subtitle, write the outline, the summary write the outline, write the outline for chapter one, write the outline for chapter two. Now you have some tasks you can cross off a list. I'm really big on going analog. Uh, 
printing that out and scratching it off as you go through. Now you have stuff you can do four minutes to seven minutes to 11. So I'll get you started. Just start with that 15 big blind stack. You keep blinding down to 10 because you're probably not moving it enough. And go, just go from the most, always start with the spot you're going to see the most. So that's going to be small blind and button when you're on in the big blind. And start with a 20% range, what can you shove? 25% range, what can you shove? 30% range, what can you shove? Put them into flip cards and Quizlet and break it down into smaller tasks and study those out. And this will give you confidence. When you get past something that seemed insurmountable and ruthlessly complex at the beginning, if you break it down into small chunks and conquer it, this will give you confidence in yourself. And I think that is a great place to start. I had some other point with this that I, <laughs> and I, I lost it. If I remember it later, I'll tell you guys. But I think that's a great, uh, I find if, it, it, it is very difficult to, to express this. It's, uh, if you can just do one of those things, though, if you can memorize one of those ranges, remember, nobody in the field probably has memorized one of them. People just do things flippantly in poker. If you can get even a little ahead of that, you're going to be doing pretty well. I think that's where you should start. Okay. All right, let's go to the next question. Uh, this is from Thomas Pavlovchik. Um, hello, I would like to ask on what factors should we decide between betting for value and bluff catching? For example, I open on hijack, ace of hearts, jack of diamonds. We have one flat from the button. Flop is queen of hearts, eight of hearts, ace of diamonds. We see bet half pot for value. We want to get value from weaker aces, flush draws, queen x hands generally a lot of stuff. Villain flats, turn is deuce of spades. Should we try to get value basically from the same set of hands like on the flop or assume he might be weak so we can give him space to bluff? We block good flush draws, lots of aces. Our stats in deciding here vital. Thanks and cheers guys, Thomas. Thank you for your question, Thomas. Statistics are I, w I wouldn't say vital, but they do help you quite a bit here. If you see an aggression frequency, uh, an aggression frequency, for those of you who don't know, just is a fraction that expresses how often a person takes an aggressive move. So bets plus raises over checks plus calls would be the most, it would be how that is defined. And if you see that's up into the 40s, 50s, 60s, perhaps you can give the guy a little rope to hang himself. There is a game theory optimal move that needs to be discussed here if you're playing cash games. Because in cash games, if you take, uh, if you take the same decision repeatedly, you're going to you're going to become very predictable and over the tens of thousands of hands you play with a particular player, you, you open the door to be exploited by a true professional. In tournaments, I believe the correct answer is almost always bet for value because tournament players do view their chips as monopoly money and they really dumbfound me constantly by what they call with. I believe if you are not accidentally value betting the other person's hand on a semi-consistent basis, you are not value betting enough when it comes to tournaments. That, that, is, my, that is my honest belief. I usually go for value in this spot. I'm hedging, even if that river is a 10, I, I don't believe he said the river, right? No. Even if that river is a 10, which is a pretty bad card for us because ace-10 does make up a lot of his flatting range, I'm still betting there as opposed to check-calling because, well, I do need a real 
check calling range when I'm playing cash. In tournaments, ace-10's not going to raise me, and all the lesser aces are going to call, and if I'm planning on check calling anyway, what I'm really doing is letting the letter, lesser aces check back and the two pairs bet. So it, it's somewhat suicidal for me to check there. Whereas if I'm playing cash in the the guy, this is where you more typically see the always doing a very thin value bet. I'm going to raise on this river. That that nine times out of ten when that happens to me, that's in a cash game. So in that space, I do believe that is the time to be checking to that person more often. This is why I don't believe poker is getting much harder, but I do believe you need to specialize more so these days because there are more well-versed players in cash games than there used to be. And however, if you stick to strategies, which I think you can find with uh, PO Solver and uh, Poker Snowy for game theory optimal play, I, I think you can do very well in cash. And I think in tournaments... Nine times out of ten, the guy's just going to call. He, he even if he, I can't tell you how many times I value bet there, and the guy turns over a set after he calls, and <laughs> I, 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 to me, it's a free roll because I'm deciding the bet sizes, and he's probably calling with a very expansive part of his range, and that that tends to be what I'm looking for. In general, nobody three bets enough. Some observations one of my students, uh, Ben, made uh, is that nobody folds to three bets pre-flop, so we all need to three bet more for value. Mm -hmm. And nobody folds to the flop C bet, which means the turn bet is really the continuation bet, and the river bet is really the double barrel. So if you were in the habit of double barrel bluffing much more often in the old days, you, you should be triple barreling more now. And if you were two-barreling to get value in the old days, you should be triple-barreling to get value now. This is, a, this is a very nuanced subject, but I hope I've given you some ideas on how you can face it. Thank you for your question, Thomas. Okay, and um, we got one more for this episode, and then we're going to wrap it up. So this one is from good friend of the show, uh, put you up in Canada, and... Uh, oh, yeah. Actually, no, we've done that one. Sorry. Um, no, no, we've not. 4th of April. It's from Dennis Pedersen. The reason I thought we'd done it is because I flagged it, and it, I've, all, I've only flagged my reply to Dennis for some reason, the way the new uh, iPhone sets up emails. Uh, here we go. Hey, Barry and Alex. Lately, I have seen some bankroll challenges taking place by some named pros, Doug Polk and fellow listener Chase Bianchi. I am wondering what you guys think about challenges like this. Also, I have decided to do my own bankroll challenge and wonder what you guys think of what I'm setting out to do. Here is my challenge in a nutshell. I plan on starting with $1,000 and building it to $11,000, a profit of 10 k in one year. I plan on doing it by starting with $250 on four sites, ACR, 888, Party Poker and Bodog. I will be doing this playing 25 NL and $5.50 MTTs being the max limit I can buy into. I will also never play more than four tables at once. I will reevaluate this uh, limit if my bankroll drops below $750 or B, it climbs above $2,500. I plan on playing small field MPTs to lower variance as well. I plan on blogging and Twitch streaming it, which is twitch.tv slash profishpoker to challenge as much as possible. What do you think? Am I being too ambitious at least at these buying levels. Are there any tweaks you would recommend? Do you think it's possible to pull this off as a part-time binder? Thanks for your hard work and hustle, guys. Dennis Pedersen. Hey, Dennis. Uh, thank you for your question. Looking forward to rooming with you for the Montreal tournament. We're sharing a hotel that room is about the size of a postage stamp <laughs> and is described uh, optimistically as rustic. And, uh, yeah, it's in Montreal, so that'll give you an idea. Mm -hmm. I think you're doing the right thing, and anybody who's doing one of these bankroll challenges, I think, should go ahead and ask somebody with a lot of experience building a bankroll 
what time frame they think it's going to take to do this. And they should also be aware that whatever advice they give you is going to be a couple years old. Perhaps they built a certain bankroll on a certain time with a certain amount of luck. And it's good to think of those things. Uh, fortunately for you, I do have a lot of experience in growing bankrolls of a number of different players and advising them. If you can't commit 15 hours a week to this, I just don't see it happening. And generally, more time, more volume is going to get you there at these stakes than better play. Because at these stakes, there it's a lot of executing fundamentals. And if you can execute fundamentals very faithfully, I think you can get there. That being said, it's wonderful you're trying to build a brand with Twitch. The, the problem with Twitch is if your fundamentals disagree with certain guys on the rail, you're going to hear a lot from the peanut gallery. You might expose your strategies a little bit more than you'd like to in some of these small fields. There are some logistical issues, for lack of a better adjective. There, there, it, it can be really easy to get swept up into whatever the generic game is. And that's always a real problem because uh, there's a... There, there's a book that my business consultant sent me and something it says in it, if I, if I could remember the name of it, I'd give it to you, is it's never perfect when it first comes out. If it's perfect, it's too late. If, you're, if your game is perfect, according to everybody else, it's too late. It's dated. You think about Facebook when it first came out, Twitter when it first came out, it, it just nightmares on paper. The first iPhone was a block of soap that broke every three seconds. You need to be ahead of the curve, and that means a lot of people criticizing you, a lot of people going, what is this? And I do believe the strategies we work on, Dennis, are ahead of the curve, but you need to make sure you're executing. This is another thing my business consultant told me that I, I think I wanted to bring up earlier with uh, the gentleman from South Carolina is... At some point, you have to execute. There's a million books on time management. I have read every single one of them. I wrote my business advisor, I can never keep track of what I'm doing. I read every one of these. I'm behind on every project. I can never apply all these concepts. And he wrote back to me, it's just like when people are playing poker and he's a, he's a big poker fan he's a good poker player you can consume as much media as you want in poker but at some point the rubber has to meet the road you have to go and do these little quizlet books and you have to define your ranges and ask why do you do these ranges what is the math behind them what led me to that math what are the components of it make your little cards and work on it and he said, what is it you want and how are you going to accomplish that? And he said the most, he, he said a lot of, uh, a lot of just dead basic things I should have been doing. And I didn't find them in any of these books because these books are, you have to remember these people, a lot of these consultants need to string you along. I don't really believe in that because I, I can give you the recipe for something. It doesn't mean you're going to know how to cook it. So I give you the recipe for how to play dynamite, no limit, hold them. You still need to execute. So in this case, your execution is going to have to be very surefire. It's going to have to be very present you're going to have to know what days you're playing. You're going to have to keep a good attitude. You have to be adding more hours, not less. You can't fall off. It has to be daily little improvements, and you have to fall in love with the process of improving. I do believe it's doable. 
Uh, best of luck to you, Dennis. Please give us updates. And if anybody else wants to do their bankroll challenge, send us the parameters. I'll tell you it, 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 if I see it happening or not. Yeah. So just something about making that commitment and writing down the steps. It, it, like you say, as long as you put the action on uh, the rubber to the road, is that what you're saying? The rubber to the road? When the rubber meets yeah. the road, I believe, would yeah. be the phrase. I, um, I, maybe I'm saying it right. I, I've never <laughs> heard that one. But um, it's so, I remember doing something similar, um, and it makes a big difference when you actually do it and commit to it and take, you know, and actually put in the hours and do it. It, it kind of, you, when you see that bank go building and building, you're going, God, this is actually, it almost feels like a, a magic formula, but the only magic formula is this time you're actually following the rules. And as soon as you don't and you start, well, I'll play, I've dropped 20 buy-ins or whatever, but I'm still going to play at this level because the game's good or whatever, that's when the wheels fall off, I think. It, it's weird. It's like um, you've got to stick to your moving up and down the stakes. And uh, that was my experience from it anyway. Um, as soon as you sort of like start kidding yourself on and just saying, oh, well, another, I'll play another 10 tourneys at this level. You know, it's like that's when the math beats you, I think. Isn't that right, Alex? If you don't, if you're setting yourself these parameters, but then sort of like in between sometimes you go, well, I just ran back there. I'm going to stay a little bit more at this level. Then you have to follow your, your rules and they have to be realistic rules. Yes. And I, I, I really like that Dennis, has a move down limit and he should also look up as well. At what point is he going to move up? What bankroll yeah, is that going to be? I think he said two and a half thousand he would look at reevaluating and playing more. So. I, I think he can move up a little sooner than that. But yeah, well, I don't, I, I'm not doing the math in my head, but that's up to Dennis. I think something that's interesting is we had a discussion before we went on air about a friend of ours who just has a hard time being in the present. Mm -hmm. Something that really helps me being in the moment is if I make a plan, if I reevaluate that plan and I say it's a good plan, and then if I'm doing exactly what I said I could be in, doing in the plan, that is literally all I can do. You can only do one thing at a time. If you're running, trying to work out, and you're also thinking about all the paperwork you have to do when you get home, this is unproductive because literally Bill Gates can only do one thing at a time, no matter how powerful he is. Ge generally, most studies show you can only do one thing at a time. If you can only do one thing at a time and you're doing that one thing and it was carefully selected, that is all you can do. And if you stay within those if you stay within those limits you set for yourself and you execute, or you're working on executing, improving your execution, that is literally all you can do. And you have to, you have to derive pleasure from that, the execution, not the results. The results come. Many people say that. It is very hard to internalize that, which is where I think failure becomes really important, failure and success. You have to find out that success is not permanent. Failure is not forever. What is forever is the process. The process is every day. There, Michael Jordan probably had to start training the day after he won his championships. It's every single day. And if you can enjoy what you're doing every single day, that's when I think the best results come out of it. Yeah, you got to show up. All right, well, good luck, Dennis, and good luck to anyone else who is trying to bankroll challenge or build a bankroll just now or just playing. Like Alex said, send in information, let us know how you're doing. I know Chase Bianchi, he's our famous listener that won a bracelet, and I've cut, caught him on Twitter a few times. He's doing some 250k uh, profit uh, challenge and um, playing live cash, and he's always posting like big losing sessions of 10, 15k, and also big winning sessions of you know, five figures plus in that, so give him a look up on Twitter as well and follow him, it's, it's weird that he listened to the show, wrote in questions, won a bracelet, and now he's playing, like, sometimes 10, 25, and 25, 50 cash games, it's just, it's, it's funny, that, that, 
without sounding and using the biggest cliche ever that we hear, but that is poker, isn't it, Alex? <laughs> it's like, you know. <laughs> it, it is bewildering how fast fortunes change in life and in poker. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, we're going to wrap up for this episode. Uh, thanks for everyone that sent a question in. We do appreciate it. There is no Ask Alex without anything to ask him, so you are vital. Um, otherwise, it would just be me and Alex sitting ranting about the 80s from me and early, <laughs> early, early 90s for Alex. Um, okay, keep your questions coming in. Questions at oneouter.com and we will get them read out on an upcoming episode. Alex, how can people get in touch with you for coaching packages that you got coming out, Master the Flop is in the pipeline, and all the other exciting stuff. What can people do? If you want to write me about personal coaching, write me at alex at pokerheadrush.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, there it's at the Auto. And if you want to sign up for my newsletter and get notifications about all my new articles, videos that come out for free, go to pokerheadrush.com and just sign up on the right-hand side. I promise the newsletters look much more beautiful than that site does, so you definitely should sign up. I think you'll like what I have to send out to you this week. I have four or five videos that should be going out within the next week. That, And you can also check me out on twitch.tv slash theassassinato. Subscribers on there get some of my live streams of hand histories and strategy talk a week or two before everybody else <clears throat> before it goes on YouTube uh, so you can check out that with our live streams as well and thank you guys always for supporting I really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart okay until next week thanks for listening and cheers cheers Every day at America's Card Room, players just like you are scoring big in record time with Jackpot Poker. Jackpot Poker is a super fast three-player online poker set-and-go. You pick the buy-in, and after all three players are seated, we randomly pick the jackpot. Yep, just three players. No more, no less. And for most jackpot poker tournaments, it's winner-take-all. Imagine turning a $40 buy-in into the ultimate $100,000 game of poker. Anything could happen with jackpot poker. Play it now at America's Card Room.